Thank you, bro. Thank you, All right. Thank you so much, Tim. Oh, well, Church Trinity, it is wonderful to be here with you. I am delighted, and I'm not kidding you when I say that I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. I've been looking to, uh, forward to meeting you. Um, and the reason is this. I want to read to you what Paul wrote to the Colossians and how it describes you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So here Paul was grateful to the Lord for the Colossians because of a number of things, one of which is because he heard about their faith and their love for all the saints. Now, I've known Tim and Kim and Alex for a long, long time. And one of the things that I heard about you, though I've never met you, was how you cared for Tim when he was struggling with his health for so long. And I was just impressed. You know, we live in a day when if you have nothing to uh, to benefit me, or you, if you're not about me, if you are in need, then I'm going to abandon you. I'm going to separate myself from you. But that's not the case with you guys. You pressed in and you cared for Tim and Kim and, and the family. And, and uh, I walked through that. I basically was watching you from afar, though you did not know it. But I was just so impressed by that. And I, so I just want to thank you so much for your love for uh, for Tim and his family and for the church. And so I've been wanting to, to, to meet you, and finally, here I am. So hello. <laughs> well, I have a, a privilege of um, bringing the first message this morning, and I also have the privilege of telling you my story of how I came to faith, and um, I'm delighted to do both because they are related. My story does not exist without this story, this text. And so I'm very, very excited about it. And so my task this morning is very simple, to tell you who we proclaim. In fact, if we have a message to proclaim, then that message has to be about a person. Because if we do not have the right person, we do not have the right message, and therefore we do not have anything to proclaim. And so it's very important that we start with this. Proclaim is based obviously on the Great Commission where we are, have been given as a church to proclaim the good news unto all the world. And so here are the two things that, um, here's the two outlines for us this morning. First of all, we see in this text what Jesus is doing. And then we also see in this text how He's doing it. So let's pray and ask the Lord to, to bless our time. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we do have a message to proclaim. Lord, that message was proclaimed to us. And because of that, we are now your church, believers, heirs of the kingdom, and Lord, you have made that message very clear to us as well, that we are to bring it unto the world, that others may hear as well. And so, Lord, our heart is to walk in obedience to that. And so we get to look at this text this morning. We ask for your blessing, O oh God. We ask for your help. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that embrace what it is 
that you want to communicate to us through this message this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we get into the the outline, I want to give you a little background to help you get caught up, so to speak, because we are jumping in at chapter 16, so we need to have a little background in order for us to get ready to or prepare to, um, to receive this text. Throughout this uh, gospel, so far, Jesus had been preaching the message of the kingdom, and he's been doing a lot of miracles all over the place. He went from town to town doing the same thing, went from village to village doing the same thing along with his apostles. But the reactions, you would think that he would be received very well because he was the son of God proclaiming, preaching. He's the best preacher who ever lived And accompanying that were the miracles that Jesus performed. And so you would think that he would be received very well by all the people, but that was not the case. The reactions were very mixed. Many believed in Jesus' message, but much more rejected him and rejected his call to repentance. In fact, let me read to you Chapter 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He had to denounce the cities where most of his miracles were done, were performed. Because they refused to believe. So that's the pattern that we have seen up to this point. There were two highlights, however. There were two bright spots, not from where you would expect them to come from, but from very unexpected people. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, we, Jesus encountered a Roman soldier a centurion. And this is what Jesus says concerning this centurion. He says, truly, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Of all the people of God at the time, Israelites, whom Jesus came to preach to, Jesus says, of all the people in Israel. I've never found the kind of faith that I see in this Gentile, this centurion. So that was one bright spot so far in this gospel. And then later in chapter 15, right before our chapter here, we encounter another bright spot, verse 28. A woman who was a Canaanite woman, not a Jewish woman, a Canaanite Woman, a Gentile woman. And here's what Jesus says concerning her because of his interaction with her. He says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Isn't that amazing? 16 chapters. Preaching after preaching, miracles after miracles. And there were two highlights. And you think, whoa, what about the apostles who were with Jesus? They were no different. In fact, the apostles struggled with faith. Because again and again, listen how Jesus described them. He says to them, oh, you of little faith. Wow. They struggled with faith themselves. But what we have in this text is a significant turning point. Because here, when Jesus asked the apostles the most important question in all the world, 
Who do you say that I am? Peter, on behalf of the apostle, says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. A turning point for the apostles. And from there on, in response, Jesus reveals to them what he would do. And so from this moment on, Jesus begins to focus on Jerusalem because the next verse says in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So here you have a turning point in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus declared to them that he's going to do something. And he describes to them how he's going to do it. So that's my outline for us this morning. What Jesus is doing. Secondly, how he's doing it. And then we'll make the applications in the end. What this means for you and for me. Now, there's a lot more to this text that we could cover this morning. And so I will, cover, I will, I will leave you somewhat unsatisfied because that will not address some of the, some of the details that you may have questions about. Uh, but we just have to, um, to leave it at that because uh, this text deserves multiple weeks. Well, let's talk about what Jesus is doing. Jesus makes it very clear in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. So that's what Jesus declares to the apostles, what he's going to do. He's going to build his church. Now, do you have uh, any kids? Let's see, how many kids? No kids. Oh, okay, okay, awesome. Did any of you receive a Lego set for Christmas this year? Anybody? Serious? (laughs) All right, all right. Well, imagine this. A child who has never known anything about Legos. In fact, I did not know anything about Legos until I was an adult, believe it or not. I was never exposed to Legos until I was working as a teacher. And I'm not exaggerating. So imagine if a child who has never known anything about Legos received a gift, a Lego box for Christmas from somebody. And he looks at the picture and he said, wow, this is awesome. This is awesome. Look at it. This is a gift. Apparently, this is inside this box. (laughs) So he rips it open. And then he takes the bag out and Surprise, what is this? What is this? What, what is this? I was expecting something on the box. But what he gets were many, many, many pieces. And so he goes to the, the person who gave him the gift and said, well, what's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, the person explains to him, You've got to build it. You've got to build it. You've got to put it together. And that's the picture that we see here. Jesus says, I will build my church. And the reason is because the church is a gift from the Father to the Son. And I will tell you why I get that. If you would turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, the father loves his son. 
and he gives gifts to his son. And listen to how we have the description of how that relates or how this works in chapter 6, John beginning verse 38. This is after Jesus had fed the 5,000, performing a miraculous, multiplying the bread, and then he now interprets what's happening. He says from verse 20, uh, 36, or for 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he's interpreting what had just happened. When I fed you the bread, I am the bread. There is a theological message behind that. I am the bread of life. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have, been, uh, you have seen me and yet not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The reason why you do not believe because, is because the Father has not given you to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And then in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the Father draws the people, draw the people to Jesus like pieces of Legos that Jesus will put together. And we see that in our very text. We do not have to go to John 6 to see it. We see it right here in our very text, verse 16 and 17. Let's read it again. Simon Peter replied to the question, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It is not because of your own wisdom, Peter, that you get this, that you believe this, that you embrace this reality. It is because my Father in heaven has given you this revelation, has opened your blind eyes that you may see and embrace and believe. Because my Father has given you to me. So Jesus is building his church, the gift that his father has given to him. Now let's talk about the church a little bit because we need to think about this. The word church that Jesus uses here is the word ecclesia. And in the four gospels, it is only used twice. It appears right here in our text and later in chapter 18, verse 17 And that word means called out. In other words, the church are the people who are called out. And in the book of Acts, in chapter 7, verse 37, that text describes Israel, the people of God, at Mount Sinai. Using the same word ecclesia and it's translated there as congregation. In other words, the church are the people like Israel who was called out of Egypt into Sinai to be the people of God. They were called out from a place 
Egypt in order to be a people of God. They were called out of the world, if you will, because God wants to make them his special, special possession. So the church is the people. It is not the building for you, I'm sure. It's, you know that, but not everybody knows that who are part of the church. The church is the people. It is all the, all the believers at all times. So I want you to think for a moment that in the Old Testament, here are some members of the church, members of, like you are members of the church. Abraham is a member of the church. Isaac is a member of the church. Jacob is a member of the church. King David is a member of the church. Ruth is a member of the church. Sarah is a member of the church. Just like you are a member of the church that Jesus is building And the list goes on and on. But in the New Testament, let's pause for a moment and let's think about the members of the church. You have Peter, James, John, the poor widow. Do you remember the poor widow who who gave Jesus everything she had? Everything. She's a member of the church. Mary, Jesus' mother, and my, perhaps my favorite, Maybe I shouldn't use that. Shouldn't have any favorites, I guess. But Paul, the humble apostle Paul. And I think I have something in common with him. He was a small man. (laughs) A Roman soldier. The Roman soldier, the centurion in chapter 8. I've never seen any faith in Israel like your faith. He's a member of the church. And then the Canaanite woman, the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus begging Jesus because her daughter is demon-possessed. And despite Jesus testing her, putting up obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, she wouldn't let go. She would just pursue, pursue, pursue until Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. She's a member of the church. And so believers throughout history are members of the church. They are you, they are me, and I cannot believe that I am a member of the church and all those who will come after us. So I want you to understand that you are not just saved. Yes, you are a glorious reality that describes you, but you are not just saved. You are called out of the world to be a special possession of God. Listen to how Jesus prayed for you in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer for the church. He says, they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Think about that for a moment. These people are not of the world. Just as. I am not of the world. When you think about Jesus, it's easy to think that he's not of the world, right? He came temporarily for a purpose, and then he's gone. So it's easy for us to think about Jesus being otherworldly. But listen to what Jesus says. Just as I am not of the world, they are not of the world. Do you ever think of yourself as that? You are not of the world. You are otherworldly. Just as Jesus is otherworldly. Do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Change the way you think. 
Let the Bible, let Scripture tell you how to think. In this case, let Scripture tell you how to think about you being part of the church. You are otherworldly because you've been called out of the world to be different, to be light, to be salt, to be like Jesus, to be like God. I want you to also note, Jesus says, I will build. I will build. That speaks of two things at least. Number one, it speaks of his resolve to do this. It speaks of who, his resolve to do this. I will. I will. One commentator says it like this. The way that the Greek is constructed, this is the sense that Jesus is communicating. He says, and I in my turn, have a declaration for you. So Peter declared that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus says, my turn, Peter. My turn. I have a declaration for you. That's the force behind it. So it speaks to his resolve, but it also speaks to his authority. You see, it's one thing to say that you will build something, and I'm not talking about the president here, right? <laughs> it's, one thing to, um, it's one thing to say that you, have to, you will build something. It is another to say it and have the authority and the resource to do it. That's what Jesus is saying. I will. I have the authority. I have the resources to do it. And so at the end of this gospel, Jesus sends the church out into the world, but he just doesn't say, go, proclaim, preach the gospel, make disciples. He does not say that. The great commission does not begin with go, church. The Great Commission begins with these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations. I have the authority in heaven. All authority in heaven is under my authority. And I have the authority on earth. All authority on earth is under my authority. Therefore, go. Is that amazing? I will build my church. What is Jesus doing? He's building his church. So the next question is, how is he building it? How is he doing it? That's part two. I want to read to you again, beginning of verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Every building requires a foundation. You and I know that well. Even a a humble house. When I was younger, I lived on a house or in a house with a foundation of dirt. But even a humble house made of straws like ours were had to have foundations. 
Every house have to have a foundation. Every building project, even if it's a spiritual house or a physical house, it has to have a foundation. Give you an example. In Matthew chapter 7, after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the following words, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so Jesus gave a very clear warning. If you hear my teaching, if you hear these words of mine and you do not obey, if you do not believe and follow, you are building your house upon the foundation of sand and it will be completely devastated. So even a spiritual house has to have a foundation, a a, uh, a physical house has to have a foundation. The church is no different. Jesus is building his church, but he has to do it on a particular foundation. And in our text, Jesus tells us what that foundation is. He says, verse 18, and on this rock, I will build my church. He's building his church upon the foundation of this rock. So the question is, what is the rock? Well, if you know this text, you know that this is a very controversial text. Some say the rock is Peter, the man. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church would argue that that's the case. And therefore, they have popes. Others say that it's the rock is Peter's confession of who Jesus is. Others say that the rock is Jesus and his teachings. And on and on it goes. Well, my interpretation, which would agree with evangelical, most people, the rock is the reality of who Jesus is. His identity, his work, his message. He is the Christ. Peter had just proclaimed Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And in response... Jesus says, upon that rock, I will build my church. In other words, the rock has to do with Jesus. That's the foundation that Jesus is building his church upon. That's opposed to what other people were saying about Jesus What are people saying about me, guys? What are people saying about me? Some say you are Elijah. Some say you are John. Some say you are one of the prophets. In fact, that is the answer to over a billion people in this world today who are Muslims. One of the prophets. But Peter said no. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And upon that rock, I will build my church. So the rock is Jesus, his identity, his work, his message. And when we look at how the apostle went everywhere and preached, that's exactly what they were preaching and emphasizing. Let me give you some examples. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, this is the description of the apostles. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ 
is Jesus. What were they preaching? The Christ is Jesus. Acts 17, verse 3, this is Paul. This Jesus, Paul says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And then a chapter later, Acts 18, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. In other words, he was busy preaching the word. And then it says, testifying to the Jews that the Christ is Jesus. So Jesus is building his church. And the He's building it upon the foundation of himself, his identity, his message, his work. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, beginning verse, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Some of you are familiar with this, I'm sure, but I want you to look at it once again just a reminder. Chapter 2, Ephesians, verses 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Talking to the church now. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Members of the church, members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundation of the church is the apostles' teaching concerning Jesus. So how does Jesus build his church? He builds it on the rock, and the rock is everything about himself. You see, without this rock, there is no church. You, we can't kid ourselves. Many, some, people, some people would say, well, you're part of the church, you're part of the church, you're part of the church, and yet they deny everything about Jesus. How many of you know that there is a Trump Tower in Tampa? That's why Brandon, if you do not know, Brandon is a suburb of Tampa. And so Tampa is something that we, we go on a regular basis through downtown all the time. How many of you know, don't raise your hand, because, because there is none. However, in 2005, one was planned. Did you know that? A Trump Tower was planned to be built in Tampa in a very beautiful spot. It was going to be 52 stories high. The project was going to cost $227 million. It was going to be beautiful. It was going to be gorgeous. And if you want to buy a unit in that tower, you have to have a minimum of $700,000. That's the cheapest apartment unit. And it goes as high as $6 million. So... Trump and Milena came down to advertise it, to make a big deal out of it, and in one week, it was sold out. One week. Every unit was sold out. Now, why is there no Trump Tower in Tampa? That's right. Very simple. No foundation. What happened was, the plot of land that they bought for that purpose, they drilled down to get ready to set the foundation. One corner was fine. Another corner was fine. Another corner was fine. The problem was in the fourth corner. They did some testing. They dug, 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 testing. They could not find what they needed to find. They realized 
that they will have to do a lot of work. It's going to cost a lot of money in order to set that foundation. So there's no Trump Tower today. No foundation, no big, beautiful building. No foundation of Jesus Christ, no church. Jesus is building his church based on on the foundation of himself, his identity, his work, his message, and that's what the apostles were preaching. That's what the church is called to do, preach Christ. If we are to proclaim, we must proclaim the person, Christ Christ. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Who are the people that are part of the church? They are those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God, his Father, raised him from the dead. You do not confess that you are not saved, no matter what people say about you. People are building on sand today because they reject that there's only one way to God. They reject the person of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for you and for me today? Number one, two things, and then I'll close with my faith story. It has everything to do with this. Jesus is building his church, but he gives that privilege to the church. He is building his church through his people, the church. The Great Commission is given to the church as a whole. Authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the mandate for the church. That's the mandate for Trinity. That's the mandate for Gulf Coast Community Church, Brandon. But the master planner is Jesus, and the master builder is Jesus. And because he is the master planner and builder, because he is the Christ, the son of the living God, success is guaranteed. Isn't that amazing? I will build my church. Now you go. Success is guaranteed. The Great Commission cannot exist without this text. The Great Commission exists because of this text, and the Great Commission will succeed 100% because of this text. That ought to encourage you, Trinity. Oh, when you proclaim, proclaim with confidence. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. You know, if I were to put together the Lego set that people give me, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have some pieces left over. (laughs) Right? I mean, is that common to guys? You put something together, and there are always pieces left over. And you say, man, this thing is over-engineered. You don't need these pieces. But when, peace, when Jesus puts the Lego set together, everything is in place. He will not miss a single soul. So first of all, be encouraged. 
confident in your proclamation. But secondly, there's only one right way to do this, and that is to proclaim Christ. Tell people about Jesus. There are many, many temptations to not do it, to avoid it. To lean on the wisdom of man. What do people need? What do they need to hear? So on and so forth. Tell people about Jesus. Without this, you do not have a message. And without a message, you have nothing to proclaim. And if you have nothing to proclaim, there is no reason to gather here. I would rather be fishing with you this afternoon or this morning. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says to them in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, When I came to you, brothers, that is, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I have one message. When I came to you that, I had one message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So when you and I proclaim this Jesus, that's when the Father opens people's eyes. And people are added to the church, and the church is built up. Let me give you one example of that such story. When I was about 10 years old, people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a monk, a Buddhist monk. You see, I was raised in Vietnam, and the majority of Vietnam is is Buddhist, And so I've always admired the monks. I've always admired these people that are so dedicated to a good life. So I never heard anything about Jesus. The only time that I heard about Jesus was typically when he was made fun of. And one time as a young boy, I was taken to... Um, to see a manger scene at a Catholic church, but being so small, I couldn't see anything. Didn't know what it was about. There were a lot of people there, but I didn't know anything about it. Couldn't see anything. In 1979, my father took the family, put us on a boat. Back then, there was, you know, were boat people, refugees leaving the country. Well, that, that was us. Both people were the Vietnamese. So, took us out to sea. We had a small boat. It was meant to fish close to shore, but we packed like 95 people on this little boat. Every inch of the boat was taken. And it took us a week. First of all, it took us a few days to get to Thailand. And at first we saw land over there and, and there were a bunch of people and so we just head that way, head that way and soldiers came out of nowhere and they wouldn't let us land. So they just told us to go that way, go that way. So we went out that way. We realized later, in hindsight, that there were a lot of tourists there. They want nothing to do with us. And so we moved that way, and we landed our boat. So we got down. Even before we got to the the shore, people were running out onto the boat, jumping on the boat with whips, I remember this, this old man whipping, whipping, whipping. And we have children and women. Some of them cannot swim. And yet they said, just throw them down so they could make it to shore. And so we did our best to get everybody off. So when they got off, we got into a beach and, and we were surrounded by coconut palms. And so they roped us in all around. 
and we just sat there scared. Soldiers all around. And they mistreated us. We asked for asylum. They wouldn't have nothing to do with it. And so in the, in the process of negotiating, we sent out a couple of teenagers back, sneak out to the boat, take a rock, and destroy the propeller. That way, they have a reason to keep us. Surely they wouldn't send us out in this condition. Well, a day later or so, they pretended to shoot us, going to get ready to shoot us because we wouldn't leave. And we got on our knees. The, 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 the adults got on, the, everybody got on their knees and put their hands together and just, just please, 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 and beg and beg. And, and Vietnamese, we do not cry in front of people. But I saw all the adults crying. And I was, a, I was 11 years old. And so the soldiers began to take us, just pour everybody, pour everybody, one by one, some in the back like this, and just along this beach, and they threw us onto the boat. And then they took a rope, and they put it, they tied it on the front of the boat, and they tied it to their police boat, and they towed us out. And on the way out, we tried to cut the rope at the end, I mean the, the, the front. And they shot at us. So after a couple of shots, I was it. So we just left, and then they pulled us out far enough, and a policeman jumped over our boat with a handgun, robbed everybody. This is the second robbing, because when we got to land, all the villagers came and took everything. And so my family, for example, we reduced everything down to the most precious thing we could bring to, with us, to two suitcases. That's it, my family. Gone. They took it. Well, we got robbed again out at sea. They robbed everything, and so they cut it loose, and then they went on their way. And so we were at sea drifting, drifting, non-functioning propeller. We did everything we could to continue the trip. We put up uh, uh, sheets and things like that to try to catch the wind. And eventually, a fishing boat, a Thai fishing boat came along. Now, back in those days, it is estimated that 50% of the people that leave Vietnam uh, uh, vanish at sea. Okay, a lot more get raped. But here we are, this, there were pirates like the pirates we have today. They were pirates, but what this particular ship, this particular fishing boat was the kindest ever. They came along our boat, they threw over a net, and then they had people climb over, and so we got the men and the women, and I was a child, so I was one of those, and so, and then they towed us along with them, and they gave us a place to sleep. I remember them giving me soda to drink. They gave us food, they gave us fish, they gave us rice, and they towed us along, and at and one point, they said, we have to stop here. We have to drop you off right here, because if we go any further, we, are, we, are, we'll, we will be in trouble. We will be crossing some lines that we cannot cross, and we try to, can we pay you? Can we pay you? And they said, no, we won't accept anything. And so we had to get back, so they threw the the net back, and we got back onto the boat, and as, far, as much as we could, made our way to land, and that was Malaysia. And we got to Malaysia, we got mistreated again, but not as bad as the, in Thailand. Eventually, we, we, were, we, we made it to a refugee camp in Malaysia. And so when we got there, this camp was built for like 800 people. When we got there, there were already over 2,000 people. 
And so what they had to do was they had to find a place for us, and they were building, because a lot of people coming, so they were building these barracks, just a cover on the top and then the floor, and so they had to use a piece of land that was right at the, the trash area and where you would go for other things right there. So when the wind comes, you can smell everything, but that's where we were. That's all, the only place they had, they g- gave us. So they gave us, each person, about a foot and a half of space, basically to lay down by six feet on the ground. And as people move out of the camp, go to different countries, then, then there's, that creates space, and you get to go into a better situation. And eventually, my family made it to... A better situation, which means you are sleeping above ground on this barrack. Again, you just have this, this one and a half foot by six feet of space in this giant building. And so our family had, we had nine people. And so 12 feet by six feet, that was our lot of land in this world. And one day, somebody came and placed the Gospels right there. In Vietnamese, they produced Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as a book together for evangelism purposes. Somebody came and put that Vietnamese Gospels right there. Twelve feet, six feet. And my mom picked it up. And all her life, she's had this spiritual hunger. All her life, she's had this spiritual hunger. And no religion answered the questions that she had. No religion was able to satisfy her spiritual hunger until she picked up that book. And soon... Tears began to flow down her face. She couldn't put it down. She was reading about Jesus. And so she would tell the kids, all seven kids, and we were fascinated. I was mesmerized. She was telling us about what she had been reading about Jesus and mom said later that over the few months, we were in the refugee camp for a total of 10 months. And we did not make it to that spot until months later. So within those few months that she had that book, she estimates that she read it for over 30 times, cover to cover. She estimates that it took her about two and a half days to read one time. In other words, she could not put it down. She was so satisfied with what she was hearing. So she became a believer. She was converted. And then when we were sponsored by a Lutheran church in Minnesota to come to Minnesota, you have to have a sponsor to come to this country. The Lutheran church would send people to our house on a week on the weekday to teach us English and along with that taught us the Bible. On Sundays they would send people to come and take us to church and there we would learn about Jesus and eventually I was seeing this movie on TV during Easter one time about you guess it Jesus And everything became real to me. It became personal. I understood for the first time that what I was seeing, that Jesus was doing, he did it for me. And I remember crying, going up to my room and thank you, Jesus. I got on my knees and I thanked Jesus for doing that for me. I came to faith because somebody told me about Jesus. 
My mom came to faith because somebody gave her a book about Jesus. So brothers and sisters, the person that you and I must proclaim is Jesus. Jesus is building his church through his church, then the foundation is Jesus. What a privilege we have to partake in this part of Jesus' mission to build his church. It is an honor for you, Trinity. Proclaim with confidence because Jesus is building his church through you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing in the world. You're building your church and you give us the biblical mandate and the privilege of partaking in that work. Father, help us to be faithful and to be confident that success is guaranteed. Because Jesus, you are the master designer and you are the master builder. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.